we're giving the high points in the book of Exodus, and we just gave you the Ten Commandments in the 20th chapter in our last lesson. I think there were a great deal here, quite a few here Wednesday night when we I had the Ten Commandments in the 20th chapter. And so we finished that, and we'll pick up with the 21st chapter. And if you'll remember, we said that <clears throat> chapters 21 through 23, we have uh, diverse laws and... Uh, uh, the precepts, judgments for God's people. And it basically it's an, uh, an interpretation or the judgments that are all based upon the Ten Commandments that are given us in the 20th chapter. So we'll pick up in the 21st chapter. And 21 through 23, we have these. And then in chapter 24, we have uh, Moses coming up uh, unto the Lord and uh, Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of of Aaron and uh, 70 elders of Israel. And we have a different scene there before us in the 24th chapter. And that's the last chapter before we get into the the uh, teaching of the tabernacle from the tw- 25th chapter onward. We have the teaching of the tabernacle. And so we just kind of wanted to give you a brief of that. And I think uh, most of us have gotten a grip on what we've studied in the book of Exodus thus far. If you would like the title outlines, I have them down here on a, a little lesson sheet that if you missed them last week, I gave some of them out last week. And if you'd like to have those title outlines, title chapter outlines, or chapter titles, I should say, well, we can give you those. It's not outline, but chapter titles, I should say. Chapter 21. Now, these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And every situation is... A handle here. Almost every situation is handled in these next three chapters as to how God's people are to live and guidelines and judgments and precepts. It says, If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So they could get a Hebrew servant that maybe was indebted for some reason or other or for whatever reason they would have to buy one. Uh, sometimes in the case of default in, uh, of a payment of debt, they could take that servant of a Hebrew family and let them serve out that indebtedness. But they could not keep them beyond the, the six years. The seventh year, they were to go out free. And in this case, it was that one servant or slave that was bought for, for that purpose to serve for a period of six years. In the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. In verse 3 it says, If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall say plainly, or plainly uh, say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. This was a sign of perpetual servitude. In other words, this slave, at the end of six years, in the seventh year he should go out free, uh, he was to be turned loose, and yet he could make a decision. He married a wife while he was there, had children, and he loved his master, and he loved his service. And so he says, I will not go out free. I want to become a 
a, a servant forever to this master. And I, I want to stay here because I love my master, I love my wife, and I love my children. And so if he would do this, he had to make a, a, a covenant with the, his master, and therefore he would take him to the doorpost and bore his ear through with an awe, a sign of perpetual servitude is what this was. You know, Jesus is pictured here in this Hebrew servant. In fact, this is a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in that he became a servant forever. And we find that in the New Testament there are several things about Christ as the servant and as uh, serving his master. Let me give you some references. Let's look in uh, John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28. John 12, verse 27 and 28 says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, and will glorify it again. So he was willing to go all the way for his father, his master. He says, I want to serve the heavenly father forever. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 42 uh, Isaiah prophesies of Christ as a servant. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Philippians tells us that Jesus Christ took upon him the form of a servant, right? And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion he, uh, as a man, he became obedient unto death, an obedient servant, even the death of the cross. Remember, Jesus said, I do always those things which please the Father. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, For there's greater, the one that sits at meat or the one that serves, him that serveth. And he says, well, they answered and said, well, of course, the one that sits at meat, sits at the table and is served. And Jesus said, but I am among you as one that serveth. So we see he was God's divine servant. And as such, we find that he fulfills that type of that Hebrew servant. He loved God the Father. He loved the church. We might say the wife would represent the church. And the children would represent every individual believer. And Jesus uh, actually became that one that fulfilled that prophecy whose ear was digged or opened as a sign of perpetual servitude. He fulfilled his mission, and yet he always will be the servant. You know, Jesus Christ is the... Uh, Lord of glory, and yet he will never cease to be the man, Christ Jesus. He's uh, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, and the Bible says, yet there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, but when Jesus speaks of his coming, he says, the Son of Man shall come in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So he'll never cease to be man and never cease to be that servant, though he's God manifest in the flesh. But he loves that title of being God's servant forever. And in the heavenly sense, he'll be seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Let me give you something else that will help. In Hebrews chapter 10, look in Hebrews 10 and I'll give you a, a verse in Psalm of 40. <clears throat> Psalm 40 and verse 6 says this, A sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Listen. Mine ears hast thou opened. 
you have a marginal reference there for open, it says digged. The same as his ear had been bored through with an awl. This is the reference to Christ. He says, burnt offering and sin offering that's not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. This is the prophecy concerning Christ and his willingness to become that servant. In Hebrews chapter 10, the very uh, passage is quoted. Hebrews 10, uh, it says, uh, <clears throat> let's begin reading with verse 5. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith. Now listen, much the same words as you find in that psalm. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he says, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings for uh, and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, uh, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, uh, Then he said, Lo, I come, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He takes away the first covenant establishes the second covenant, and he becomes God's servant forever in fulfillment of that verse in the Psalms. So he's a, a perfect fulfillment of that Hebrew servant that we find uh, spoken of back here in Exodus, though it was literally applied to a servant, a Hebrew servant in those days. But we find that Jesus certainly loved his father, the master. We'll call God the father, the master. And he did always that which is obedient to the Father, and always serve the Father. And he says, I came to do thy will, O God. And he took upon him that sign of perpetual servitude. And he says, I love my wife and my children. In Hebrews chapter 2, let me read a verse, a couple of verses for you. Hebrews uh, chapter 2, quickly. In, it says this in verse um, uh, <clears throat> 12. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, now look, I and the children which God hath given me. See that? I love the church and I love the children, the believers. I and the children which God hath given me. Verse 14, for as much then as the children... Here you have the children again. Are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we see the children that, was, that were given him by means of his atonement. Now then, uh, I think that gives enough evidence to show that uh, this Hebrew servant is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pick up with verse... 7. Uh, Exodus 21, verse 7. And when I say let's pick up, always hold your place where we're studying, please. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. She's not as free to go out as the men servants. If she please not her master who hath betrothed her to himself. Many times they were betrothed to the master. Then... Shall he let her be redeemed? She had to be bought back from his possession. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall not have. He shall have no power, seeing it dealt deceitfully with her. She was supposed to remain as his. In verse nine, and if he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. 
If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money. Verse 12 says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Here's the penalty of capital punishment for killing an individual. Intentional murder. Deliberate uh, smiting a person or killing a person. And by the way, do you know these laws have never been changed? If we had a strict, swift judgment today upon those that commit murders and crimes that were due uh, capital punishment, it would great alleviate the uh, crime in our country. Say, preacher, do you believe in capital punishment? God does. God says if you smite, look, he that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Now, I didn't say that. God said that. If you have any argument about it, just talk to the Lord. Because He says here that people ought to pay for their crimes. And we go on down. It says, And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then will I appoint thee a place of whither he shall flee. In other words, if someone accidentally killed another person, God says, I'm going to provide involuntary manslaughter if he accidentally did this. There's one instance that's pointed out in the, in the Bible. It says if a man goes out into the woods with his axe and, and he starts cutting down a tree and the, and the axe head comes off and hits another individual and he, he dies, well, then that's an accident. Well, the family would come after this man and say that he intentionally, he, they would think that uh, their, their, one of their family was murdered by this man that had the axe when it was entirely an accident. And they would be uh, in pursuit of the individual that had done this. And God says, I'm going to provide him a place of refuge, a city of refuge to flee into. And then when the, in the, after the heat of anger of these people cooled down, they'd begin to realize it was an accident. And we were trying to get rid of this fellow. And even though he accidentally killed one of our family, and then it could be brought up and determined whether or not he had killed someone intentionally or whether it was an accident. And then, of course, he would be protected from being avenged by the uh, uh, senselessness of a person that would all of a sudden just be so mad and angry that he would want to get revenge. In fact, God provided cities a refuge. If you'll turn to the book of uh, Deuteronomy... Well, let's turn to De uh, Numbers. We can find it in Numbers and Deuteronomy. But turn to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 35, and verse uh, 11. It says, Then you shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you. See that? That the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person at unawares. Accidentally. Unawares. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer die not until he stand before the congregation in judgment. And of these cities which ye shall give six cities shall ye have for uh, refuge. They were given other cities for other purposes. Actually, 48 in total if you want to read the whole content here. But we're talking about six cities for refuge. Ye shall give three cities, verse 14, look, on this side, Jordan, and three cities ye shall give in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. You see, God, had, God provided a refuge for the one that had accidentally 
uh, kill someone else. We need to think about these laws as pertain to our lives today. That God wants us to, to have a place to, to be taken care of. And certainly we might say that uh, we're guilty of, of, of sin ourselves. And we've done many things that might merit uh, judgment. But on the other hand, uh, God has provided for us in Jesus Christ a place of refuge. You know, those cities of refuge are a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, do you notice that they were provided for everyone? There were three on one side of Jordan and three on the other side. God made it very convenient and He made it very near to anyone that had any problem of this nature to find a place of refuge. And if you need a place of refuge today, the Lord has made it very near. He's brought us near through Jesus Christ. He's that refuge for us. So we go on now in Exodus 21. It says in verse 14, But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. He was to pay life for life. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death for a kidnapper. Right? One that steals a child, a person. He says, even if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. We have certain uh, laws in the Bible that God has not altered. They have not been altered through the centuries. And these laws are still in force as far as, uh, the, as governing nations and men. God knew that men were going to commit crimes and that there was going to be evil and that men are sinners and they're going to have to have some guidelines to direct society to keep us from falling into chaos. And that's exactly why He put these laws down. In verse 17, He that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. God didn't put up with any uh, disrespect to father or mother. And if men strive together and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and, and he die not, but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. Isn't that much like the loss of some of our law, just laws today? Say, if you get in a fight with a fellow and you have problems with him and he has to go to the hospital, you have to pay his hospital bill, right? And you have to recompense him and pay him for the, for the suffering. We have laws to that effect. Well, why don't we continue to have laws to the other effects and keep them all in harmony with the Word of God? By the way, I don't see how you could be a judge and not know something about God's Word. Because most all of our laws are based somewhere upon something that's written in these judgments of the Old Testament. And then we go on down. In verse 20, And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. Now, you see, in those days they had property. Their servants were considered to be their property. Verse 22, it doesn't mean that God was not against slavery, because later on he delivered those who were in such bondage and set men free. And we know under Christ that men are set free. And if you read the book of Philemon concerning Paul's writings to, uh, concerning the runaway slave, you remember book of Philemon, and you'll find that uh, uh, there's a great deal of instruction there concerning that situation. All right, let's look uh, in verse um, uh, 23, no, 22, 
If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit departs from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. You see, they had to bring matters before judges in those days. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. If he had a servant and his eye was put out, he went through enough suffering, he's paid a debt, and certainly he should be, have been set free. Uh, if a man smite uh, out his um, manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. If an ox gore a man, if you have a... a ox with horns, if he gore a man or a woman, that they die, then the ox shall, uh, sh- uh, shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall uh, not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall uh, be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified of his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and and his owner also shall be put to death. If he knew that this was a dangerous animal and he permitted him to roam free anyway and so that he was not taking responsibility for a dangerous situation, then he was responsible. It shows that men are responsible for all their property. And if this property and this animal is dangerous, then he says he shall be put to death. Now, verse 30, there's a provision for this man. Look at it. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall... Give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. If if a man or woman was killed by an ox that was turned loose, and this man knew he was dangerous, and a person was killed of your family, and you say, in order to keep this man from being put to death, who was responsible, you'd consider a sum of money to settle the indebtedness, and a ransom would be paid to the family or the person that was uh, injured in that sense their whole family in this case uh, would be recompensed and therefore the man could would not have to die he would pay the ransom price that was laid for his life he, he'd literally pay for his life is what he'd do but now here's a situation there's a spiritual lesson in this I, I want you to get this in verse 31 it says uh, where whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment, shall it be done unto them. Now then, verse 32. And I've taught you this in reference to something else previous, and I want you to get it. If the ox shall push a manservant, now look, or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. My goodness. If he kills an ordinary person of society, God says he'll have to pay the ransom to save his life, if it's considered. But if he if he gores a manservant or a maidservant, then what? They're to pay, give unto their master, this manservant or maidservant's master, thirty shekels of silver. Remember when we taught you about Jesus being the rejected shepherd and the, the common slave and the outcast? There are three passages of Scripture. We gave you one in Zechariah where it shows that 
the price of the rejected shepherd was 30 shekels or 30 pieces of silver. The price of the outcast, and we taught you that from the book of Hosea. Do you remember that? Was 30 shekels of silver. And by the way, we had to divide it up in kind and in money, if you remember. And here the price of a common slave was what? 30 pieces of silver. And the truth of the matter is that all three of these point to Jesus in a way that he was, that his price, remember it says, offer uh, for him a price. Let me see if I can find it in the Gospel of Matthew. Look at it. In Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 27 and verse uh, 6. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bear strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. The children of Israel valued Jesus at what? Thirty pieces of silver. They took the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. And when you go back and tie that with the Old Testament, we gave you three references, in, one in Hosea and one in uh, Zechariah chapter 11 and one in this one particular one in Exodus chapter 21, where it shows that Jesus was not only uh, a common slave, a servant, but he was a rejected shepherd. And he was also an outcast for you and I. He became all of these that we might be set free. Remember the common servant concerning Jesus being a common servant? In John chapter 13, the Bible says when supper was ended, Jesus laid aside his own garments and he girded himself with a towel. That was the attire of the servant, wasn't it? And he took water, put water in a basin, kneeled down and began to wash the disciples' feet. He did that a menial task of being a servant in that house of his own. We find that he was outcast because on the cross he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became an outcast. And we find that his own rejected him. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He was the rejected shepherd, right, of Israel. And so Jesus was all of these things. And there is a spiritual lesson in this if you look at it then. Exodus 21, let's go on. And if a man shall open a pit, that's verse 33, 21-33, if a man shall open a pit or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it, and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them, and, and the dead beast shall be his. You see what? God holds people responsible for themselves, for their possessions, and for any harm that they can cause to other people. See, God holds us responsible. I think one of the greatest lessons we can learn about all of this, if we just wanted to draw the bottom line and say uh, simply that God uh, holds men accountable for what they are and what they have and what they do. Everything about us, we become responsible creatures. And the tragedy today, no one wants to take any responsibility. Isn't that the tragic thing today? Well, you know, it's not my fault or I don't care. We have a, a society that has a don't care attitude. 
And when you get to the place that you do not care, you're in a terrible fix, friend. If you don't care. You've got to care about... You know, remember, old Cain said after he killed Abel, am I my brother's keeper? God is reinstating here we're a brother's keeper. God is reinstating by this law we're responsible creatures. And what happens to other people we're going to give an account for. Whether we like it or not, these are God's laws. And uh, we may not answer to them in our society today because many of them are wiped out. Some of them are not applied. Some of them are not enforced. But remember this, that God has put them down and someday every man shall give an account of himself to God. And if we've broken these laws in life and gotten by with it, so to speak, we think we've, you know, hit it under the rug or got by with it. But God is not going to look at it that way. You know what God's Word says? It says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men, one heart of all the sons of men, the heart singular of the sons of men, is fully set in them to do evil. What does it mean? Have you ever heard people say, well, uh, if, if, if this is wrong, God would strike me down. Or some of them have invited God to do it. I wouldn't want to do that, but some have. Because he might just take a notion to do it one of these days. He'll do it if he wants to. He won't do it because you invited him to. But if he gets a notion, he will. If that's in his mind and in his purpose and in his plan, old Ananias and Sapphira came in lying about a possession of land that they had sold and they lied about how much they got for it. And Peter says, while you had it, it was your own. And after you sold it, it was still in your possession. But he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And he says, the, men, the young men are standing at the door ready to carry you out when you fall over dead. Ananias fell over dead. They carried him out and buried him. His wife came in a little later. She told the same story and they carried her out and buried her. You see, God can do what He wants to do. You know, if, 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 if this were not a day and age of grace, you'd find people all over the country falling dead, wouldn't you? It, it, that's really true. I'm not, it's not a joking matter. You know, really, they'd be falling dead. How many people have lied to the Holy Spirit of God? How many people have lied from time to time, resisted and rejected uh, the Holy Spirit of God? And lied to the Holy Spirit? Not only from the inside, but before others. And that's a dangerous situation to get into. But God is, this is a day and age of grace. God is a God of mercy and He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so when we look at these laws, let's look at this now uh, in verse um, 35. <clears throat> it says, And if one man's ox hurt another that he die, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it, and the dead ox also, uh, also they shall divide. Or if it be known that the ox hath used to push in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead uh, shall be his own. See that? God has a way of setting the scales to balance, doesn't he? If a man steal an ox or a sheep, now this verse 1 of chapter 22, and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. For an armed robber, if he comes in and robs a store, and he robs a store and the owner... Uh, tries to resist and he takes out his gun. The, the robber's got a gun. The, the owner takes out his gun and shoots him. 
There's no blood to be shed for him. He shouldn't have been in this guy's store robbing it. Right? The thief breaks in your house and threatens your family and comes up against you and you're in all kinds of danger. You're going to let him get by with it? Well, I know we have laws today that sometimes you're called on the carpet for protecting your own. But on the other hand, God says you have a right to do it. And in this case, it says there shall no blood be shed for him. Now then, it says if the sun be risen upon him, if he gets away, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. In other words, if he got out of here and didn't kill anyone or anything like that, and if he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. He has to make restitution. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. Restoration was to be made. Look here. In verse 5, If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten, and shall put in his beast, and shall feed in another man's field of the beast, uh, the, uh, of the best of his own field and of the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. This prevents trespassing on other people's property. This prevents one guy taking advantage of another person's property and acting as if it's nothing. He says, well, that guy's got a good place over there. I'll just turn my cattle or my sheep or something loose over there. That's a good place. Well, it says he'll have to pay and make restitution. right? And here's safeguards against uh, arson. Look in verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> in verse 6. <clears throat> if fire break out and catch in thorns, <clears throat> so that the stacks of corn or the standing corn or, or uh, the field be consumed therewith, he that kindleth the fire shall surely make restitution. See, that, that's to uh, safeguard against setting someone's property or uh, what they possess of, in fire. And then we find in verse 7, If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep. This is uh, a violation of trust that we're talking about. On down to verse uh, 9. If you give something into someone else's hand to be kept, <clears throat> it says, If it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. The thief is responsible. If the thief be not found, then... The master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether uh, he hath put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. In other words, he's going to be checked out to see if he's stolen or done away with his neighbor's goods, for which he was responsible. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing which uh, another challengeth to be his, <clears throat> the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. And whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. We have some good laws in God's Word, don't we? If we just follow them, we'd learn how to get along with one another, and we'd have to pay if we didn't do right. Uh, we'd become responsible people. We'd become good citizens. We'd become good neighbors. If I harmed you in some way, I'd, I'd be responsible for it. If you harmed me in some way, you'd be responsible. There'd have to be restitution. There'd have to be consideration of damages, of hurts, of pains, of suffering, of whatever. You see, God is a just God, isn't He? And He put these things down that men might follow Him. <clears throat> if a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep, and it die or be hurt or driven away, no man seeing it, then shall an oath of the Lord between be between them both. 
that he hath not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. In other words, this guards uh, personal possessions, and on the other hand, it, it guards the man that uh, is responsible and makes him not responsible for something that he couldn't help. And if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. <clears throat> If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for a witness, and he shall not make good that for that which was torn. Now here's safeguard against the loss of property again. Verse 14. If a man borrow aught of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof uh, being uh, not with it, he shall surely make it good. You're responsible. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be an hired thing, it came for his hire. If he... If he got it in there to pay for it. In verse 16, If a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. He must not violate the trust of a young lady. If her father utterly refuse to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. He must pay for uh, injury or disgrace. Verse 18, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Over in the book of Deuteronomy, let me read you some verses. Chapter 18, it says this. Verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Now look, verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That means to consecrate to Moloch or some other deity. And then it says... Uh, or that useth divination, someone to try to divine the future, or an observer of times, the one that foretells uh, the times by present occurrences. You know, they take it, a lot of those people take what's happened now and they just kind of roll it down the roadways and say it's going to happen again. They have all ways that of doing these things, or an observer of times, or an enchanter. An enchanter is one that uh, actually inspects the entrails of beasts and observes the flight of birds and all kinds of weird things to make divination, to try to determine what's going to happen. It says, uh, or a witch. A witch means one that by drugs and uh, various ways, tries to confer with celestial beings and influences the celestial beings to uh, to the aid of another one. And you have a charmer. There's all kinds of one who uh, uses spells, puts a spell upon a person, or a consulter with familiar spirits. Remember old saw one, someone that consult with a familiar spirit or a wizard or a necromancer. That last word has to do with those that uh, try to commune with the dead and do commune with the dead or consult our familiar spirits. Remember old Saul says, bring up Samuel. And God's word says, don't have anything to do with any of these. You're not to have anything to do with those that, that try to commune with the dead, those that try to tell your future, those that try to uh, divine the wizards would be the male form of the witches. All of these various uh, 
curious things that try to uh, dig into the future or tell you what's going to happen or commune with uh, spirits, all of these are to be shunned. Now, I know every once in a while they have at carnivals these ladies that are supposed to tell you something and they read your hands and they do various things. Listen, beloved, that's, that's against God's Word. Don't fool with it. We used to have a one of my professors said this, and I'll pass it on to you. He said that there's two kinds of those people that are that are actually in existence. One that is after your money, and the other is after your soul. Most of them are after your money, but there are those that are really after your soul too, and just as dangerous. They had a program the other night, and this fellow was a uh, belonged to the Church of Satan, and they were talking to him about being a member of the Church of Satan. Some of you may have seen it, and he said, uh, but he didn't believe in Satan. It was asked him the question, well, why do you call yourself a, a priest of the church of Satan when you don't believe in Satan? That's a pretty good question, I thought. Well, he, couldn't, he didn't have an answer for it. But he didn't believe in the devil. He didn't believe in Satan. And yet he was a priest of the church of Satan. It, it's kind of crazy to me for a man to be uh, serving someone he doesn't even believe exists. You know, I serve the Lord, but I believe he's living. I believe he died and rose again and seated on the right hand of God. We all serve him in that respect. We believe Jesus is living and seated on the right hand of God, that he's the one and only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's no way to heaven but through him. And he's our great high priest. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now then, in verse, uh, you have, uh, let's get back to our lesson. Uh, chapter 22, <clears throat> verse uh, 19. Whosoever life with a beast shall surely be put to death. Verse 20. Let's see, it was in chapter 22, verse 19. And then verse 20. He that sacrificed unto, unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Remember, they worship the golden calf. It says in verse 21, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know, we ought to be careful how we uh, entertain strangers. And if anyone knew how strangers felt in a strange land, it should have been Israel. Remember, they were 400 years in bondage. And they dwelt a long time in a strange land. And certainly they should have learned some lessons along the way. And then we're going down. It says uh, in verse 22, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wife shall be widows and your children fatherless. God has great respect for those that are helpless and in need. Widows and fatherless. Orphans. In verse 25, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, Thou shalt not be to him as an user, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury, that is to overcharge him with interest. If thou be at all, uh, if thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it to him uh, by the sun, by that the sun goeth down, for that is his covering. It may be the only protection he has during the, the cold of the night. It is his raiment for his skin, wherein shall he sleep, and it shall come to pass. When he cries unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. 
In verse 28, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. The word gods there means judges. Don't revile those in authority. You know, we have today a lot of people, especially in our day and age, uh, reviling those that are in authority. Remember what they call the cops? Been known as pigs and called dirty names of all kinds. And uh, the the uh, judges and the rulers of our uh, nations, uh, whether it be in local government or state or, or uh, federal, people are always talking evil about those in authority. Beloved, you and I ought to have more respect than that. We ought to be good Christians and good citizens as well. And we ought to realize that God has set these men that they're servants of God. They may not even be Christians, but they're servants of God according to God's Word in the New Testament. The Bible says in Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. And it says they bear not the sword in vain. So we have to show respect to our government, to our leaders, and to our uh, uh, representatives. And we know there's plenty of corruption. We're not talking about that. But for their office sake. And some of them may be as ungodly as can be, and yet the position they occupy is God-ordained. It doesn't mean that they're God-ordained, but the position that they serve in is God-ordained. And that's what we should respect. Not that person in the sense if he's an evil man, but in a position of authority. We respect his office, and we don't respect his evil and his... Uh, wickedness, certainly not. But we should respect the authority of government. And so all of these things need to be take, taken into consideration. Let's read verse 29 through 31 and we'll close. It says in verse 29, Thou shalt not delay to offer the first fruits of the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors, and the firstborn of thy sons uh, shalt thou give unto me. Likewise, shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam, and on the eighth day uh, thou shalt give it to me. Now look, verse 31. And ye shall be holy men unto me. You like that? God wants us to live for him. Ye shall be holy men unto me. Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. So God is wanting us to be holy and clean and true. 